HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and today we're going to be following up on vertical farming. I've been uh, doing stories about this for about three years, and um, my guest today on the phone is Eric Cutter, the Managing Director of EnviroIngenuity, a company engaged in promoting and deploying alternative food and energy solutions using leading-edge technology. This led him to also become the Managing Director of Allegria Fresh, a new startup in Laguna Beach, California, that utilizes high-efficiency hydroponic vertical farming systems to produce and distribute superior locally grown salad greens and vegetables. Mr. Cutter has over 35 years of experience in growing food using organic techniques and is a leading pioneer in developing the use of hydroponic vertical farm technologies that are far more resource efficient than traditional farming processes. Welcome to the program, Mr. Cutter. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Katie. Uh, what a what an intro! I'm gonna have a hard time uh, living up to that. I'll tell you. Are you kidding? I felt like slitting my throat, or alternatively, sticking pins <laughs> at a voodoo doll when I read your bio. I mean, talk about making me feel inadequate and just pathetic in every possible way. Um, you have an incredible <laughs> CV, man. Really amazing. But uh, let's jump right into it. Let me say first of all that we were hoping to get Dixon de Pommier, who is one of the leading proponents of vertical farming. I think it was his class about ten years ago that started developing the models. Is that how you got interested in it? I have to say that Dixon uh, and his work with these students really inspired me to uh, set forth on my current path, and uh, I've, I've always believed in high-efficiency, uh, resource-efficient uh, systems, which mm-hmm. is what Ingenuity is all about. And when I started reading about what he was planning to do with food and uh, basically going up instead of out, I was fascinated with that. 
Yeah, it's an amazing story. I mean, he's such a cool guy. I'm sorry he wasn't with me today. Um, he unfortunately double booked himself, and um, so I had to gracefully let him off the hook so that I could have him back well, another I, time. I appreciate, I appreciate that. That means I'll get in three words edgewise. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I know. <laughs> it's a challenge when Dixon's on the show. I mean, he's so enthusiastic and excited about his work. It's really great. Um, but it's also really great that this has gone from sort of, um, you know, just kind of a pie-in-the-sky dream to really something the last time he was on the show, he was telling me about, you know, worldwide, there are a number of vertical farms growing up, and uh, you have one of the first, well, let's let's dive right into Alegria Farms. Like, it's you have actual glass yeah. towers, right? You're not retrofitting something that is already existing like there is in Chicago where they used a meatpacking plant or something, but um, you well, have real towers. Tell me about that. Yeah, we're actually... Uh we're actually taking um, a very practical and uh, current approach to the problem. My, my, my chief desire was to utilize the advantages and resources efficiencies of vertical farming, especially hydroponic vertical farming, mm-hmm. in order to grow far uh, superior nutritious foods and make it available to all of the trillionaires that live in Laguna Beach. And right. <laughs> what's interesting is uh, we have... Uh, accomplished a small farm. We, we've done a prototype, and it's intentionally been designed as a demonstration farm. It's in 1,200 square feet. We are solar-powered using uh, basically 170 towers, uh, six, six to seven stacks high, growing in sunlight. Mm-hmm. And we have not gone indoor yet. And the reason we haven't gone indoor yet is because that adds such an incredible capital cost. And when you're talking about the horticultural, the addition of horticultural LEDs, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously other buildings and facilities, et cetera, that are required. So I- I've approached this from a, a very simple s- standpoint in order to educate people on two words. One is vertical, and the other is hydroponic. Mm-hmm. Um, vertical, obviously, was a very fascinating to people, and they saw that we could, we could actually achieve 10 to 15 times yield, two-and-a-half times faster production. Plants are growing at a rate of two-and-a-half to three times faster in these towers. Mm. 90% less water, 50% less fertilizer, 70% less land, and zero toxic pesticides. Amazing. So those are the claims that were made by Vertigro, which is a company been in business for 16 years. Uh, Tim Carpenter, 72-year-old, very crotchety but incredibly not knowledgeable organic <laughs> chemist. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his systems are featured at the Epcot Center in Orlando, Florida. Right. Um, two years ago, I tested many different systems, and I kept coming back to the Vertigo system because of its cost-effectiveness and its ease of use more than anything. So and these, his towers... a brother do- with two kids that won't eat lettuce kind of inspired me to... I said, right. okay, they can text like monsters, but they can't survive if we have an earthquake. They yeah. can't grow anything. So I, I chose this system, and I actually started developing these systems in my house, and I watched my brother's kids who don't eat fresh greens all of a sudden start interacting with these towers and picking off of it and eating, and the lights went on. Amazing. So I thought, wow, maybe I can uh, connect youth back to our food supply. Maybe I can reverse engineer the idea that food comes from supermarkets and not farms, and maybe, if we're really lucky, we can create jobs by creating a produce route. In other words, teach these kids how to grow food, enough of it to supply local pockets in their community. Cool. And that's exactly what Alegria Fresh has done. Um, we now we have a produce route instead of a paper route. We I have love that. Uh, two interns employed now. Uh, at four o'clock, we start picking 
uh, an array of about 15 to 17 very highly nutritious greens and medicinal herbs. And we arrange them in a beautiful bouquet, and we deliver within one hour to about, so we're doing about 15 deliveries a day right now, and plan on, uh, well, it's going off the charts. So I've basically got to build farms. Wow. So, now, let's go back for a second to the structure that you're talking about in the Vertigro, because we, what, you said something that intrigued me that I hadn't realized. These are out, actually outdoors. They are not encased in plastic. They're just uh, sort of basically plastic towers. How high up do they go? We actually, uh, they are, they're, it's an, actually an EPS foam pot, and we're working on a, on a different type of design there for that. But this pot works fantastic because it insulates the roots, so it's really good in both warm and cold climates. Uh-huh. It's very lightweight, so it allows you to stack six to seven pots high, and uh, thereby, you know, in, for example, in 18 square inches, one and a half square feet, we actually grow 60 plants. Wow. Going up, growing up. And it's, a, uh, it's dripped off the top. It's a drip hydroponic system where it actually drips down into a collector pot on the top and then completely drips through the seven or eight. You can, you can go as high as ten if you want, but a better number is six to seven depending on the flow rate you want. Mm-hmm. And it actually drips down through each of the pots into a bottom pot where we have another crop. So this allows us to put 60 plants in one and a half to two square feet. And this so that's is very high density, but yeah, you can do it. But um, there's both a commercial model and a consumer model for this product, right? Am I right? Yeah, you bet. The, uh, so, the we call them the home gardens. That that consists of a little enclosed tank. It's about a ten gallon, twelve gallon tank. Uh-huh. A little pump in it pumps it up a uh, pipe through a little bubbler at the top, and then drops it back down, and so it recirculates. So you get about a ninety two percent water retention feature on that, and you can grow. Uh, 24 to 28 plants in that little system. So it's basically a beautiful little herb garden you can pick, and it takes up two square feet. Uh huh. Fantastic. And you can grow all your lettuces, et cetera. And if you're in a warm climate, I assume you can do it all year round, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, uh, we're we're very fortunate in Laguna Beach. We have uh, we average you know 20 degree swing from 70 to 85, 90 degrees max, and so mm-hmm. we have perfect growing conditions all year round. And yeah. So, that's, that's the reason we're growing outside. We're actually building indoor systems much like Dixon is designed. We're, we're working on several demonstration systems right now that 200-square-foot interior systems that will grow up upwards of one, one acre of food each. Wow. How many, I get an, how many stories up get an, does that go, or how many feet up does that require? Well, this is... We're going to use our same the same vertical stacking system, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of people, you know, growing food now in shipping containers, etc. Actually, We're this radio station this, this, is in a shipping container, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, <laughs> this, these are the modules. Well, yeah, and, the, and the, there's, the reason for it is very simple. There's uh, many, many unused shipping containers around. You can stack shipping yeah. containers. You can actually develop uh, mobile uh, emergency crisis farms. Uh, only a couple hundred square feet to produce 20, 50 times that yield coming out of a shipping container. So, for example, what happened in Fukushima, for example, we would be able to ship, put, you know, load 100 shipping containers full of in, a vertical farming equipment with indoor lighting and temperature controls, et cetera, all digitally monitored, put them on a boat, ship them over to Japan, and, you know, basically you've got food production instantly. Well, you had so, you had a recent visit from the Japanese. How people are approaching the problem? Yeah, yeah. You had a recent visit from the Japanese, uh, from some Japanese organization. You want to talk about that for a second? Because obviously, this yeah. is, feeds right into that. No, that was 
That was fascinating. Uh, we had a delegation from Anjo, Japan, Anjo, Japan mm-hmm. come and see us. And uh, even though the Japanese are leaders in vertical farming technology, uh, they came to see us. And I was curious as to why. Well, the model, I'm, I have a background in biochemistry and in, and in oncology, and therefore I understand what food can do to the body, especially uh, raw greens. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, a huge proponent, although I'm not a vegan. I mean, you take my uh, manchego cheese and my Barolo away from me and my uh, grass-fed bison, <laughs> and I'm pissed. But uh, I eat a lot of raw greens, <laughs> and I'm 55 years old and still still play competitive AAA volleyball as a result, so I know it works. Mm-hmm. So here come the Japanese, and I thought, why are they coming to see me? Well, after a bout with two translators, we finally found out that they were very curious as to why I was growing the certain crops I was growing. And that's kind of the secret to what we're doing in Laguna Beach right now, which is no longer a secret. It's it's taking 15 to 17 wonderful, high-power, nutrient-rich greens, such as uh, the red and green romaines, the different basils. For example, we grow a lot of uh, Japanese shiso basil, which was really nice to have when the delegation arrived. Yeah, And I grow a lot of eggplant, uh, Japanese eggplant, of course. And so they looked at these crops and they said, wow, what are the, what's the biochemical curve of this when you eat it together? I said, it's, it's off the charts. I said, this is the most nutritious salad you could ever eat if you blend it. Uh-huh. I said, it's really not just about the system, you know, that we're using the vertical system, which is a high yield. We, we, we term it, we, we call it high performance urban agriculture. Right. That's our system. But it really doesn't matter what you grow this in, as, as long as you grow this quality of food and then consume it very quickly. Right. Well, this you, is where you get the big power bank. You lead me on to uh, something interesting that um, I was curious about because I'm going to be doing some work uh, in in coming shows about genetically modified organisms and uh, GMO <laughs> seeds and so on. Um, oh, so tell me a little bit about. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about hydroponic seeds versus conventional farming. You know, conventional seeds for you know uh, land farming as or ground farming or whatever you want to call it. Um, is there so, is there a big difference between them or is it the same? Um, you know, do you, do you crossbreed for uh, hydroponics? I'm an organic farmer. Yeah, I'm an organic farmer, as you identified from way back. And mm-hmm. I absolutely believe in organic farming. But unfortunately, organic farmers, due to, uh, you know, return on investment concerns, are a lot of them are cheating a little bit. And uh, the problem with maintaining beautifully well-balanced live organic soil is, is there are huge problems associated with that. Hmm. We grow uh, soilless, which is what hydroponics is about. Right. We, we grow in, and you can use many different mediums. We actually have chosen coir, which is a uh, ground-up coconut husk that it comes from. It's very sustainable. It comes from mainly the equatorial part of the world. There's tons of it. And when we pull plants out, we actually just rinse our coir and put the plant, put new plants back in. Mm-hmm. So we actually recycle our soil. Now, what that means is this: this media is basically inert. Therefore, it needs to be neutrified. Uh-huh. This is where our, our big exa- the, well, This is where I really found the big advantage in hydroponic farming over organic row farming. I can actually put exactly the correct nutrients on the plant right at the root when I want to, and I can change my mixtures. If, for example, I want to push flowers on a tomato plant a little bit, I might punch the phosphorus just a tiny bit, and mm-hmm. as soon as the flowers start setting fruit. I'll bring the calcium nitrate back up, which adds sugar. So all of a sudden now the plant does not need to use its energy to develop roots to to go out and find all these nutrients. It just sits there like, uh, I have this example of a 
of a kid sitting on a couch and you feed him perfectly three times a day, he gets fat and happy. Not very good for a kid, but excellent for a plant. <laughs> That's so, a great analogy. So, yeah, so our plants are very, very healthy because they sit there and get fed three times a day on mm-hmm. a five-minute drip. Um, a 60-plant stack takes one gallon of water to feed. 60-plant, one gallon of water. So well, you can see how resource-efficient it is. I and can. Mm-hmm. If they make really tiny root balls, and so they put all their energy into forward growth. Right. And so... Two things happen. They get incredibly healthy, grow very quickly, and they absorb nutrients rapidly, which makes these plants. For example, my lettuce, uh, we've been doing tissue testing, has six to seven times the potassium load than anything you can get in our finest organic stores. Wow. Now, it's not a fair fight because I'm picking mine, you know, 10 minutes and measuring it versus an average of three days of transportation of all this other lettuce. Right, right. But the point is, is that this is... You know, this is what we've got to get to. We've got to get to a decentralized, in the urban environment, of many, many hundreds and hundreds of small farms whereby we can give access of super... We're talking minutes. We're not talking farm-to-table in 500 miles. We're talking farm-to-table in minutes to people in the urban environment. Right. Now you've given them incredibly healthy, nutritious food. And at a very high rate and, res- and very great resource efficiency. So Amazing. That's what we're using vertical farming for. I mean, I really want to. Mm-hmm. I want to deliver fabulous food. I'm a chef as well, so you can imagine what that I've got my personal salad bar now that nobody's got. Okay, now <laughs> I am definitely sticking pins in the voodoo doll. Um, Eric, give me one second. We have to take a 30 second sponsor drop break here, and uh, we'll be right back. Please stay on the on the uh, line, and folks, please stay tuned for more with Eric Cutter from Alegria Farms. grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West And we are back on Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. And on the line with me today is uh, Eric Cutter, the Managing Director of EnviroIngenuity and the uh, genius behind Alegria Fresh, um, a new uh, hydroponic vertical farming project out in Laguna Beach, California. Thanks so much again, Eric, for joining us. So let's go back to this um, to this. Uh, I want to, there's a couple things that we only have a few minutes left. So I want to get into some really um, major stuff here, which is, Vertical farming models are at the moment um, 
shall we say, not the most cost effective, especially the ones that are inside or enclosed. Right. So um, is there a point where, uh, at what, I guess my question is, is what point does vertical farming become as cost efficient as conventional farming methods? And is that dependent on distribution or is that dependent on just building your infrastructure and then waiting for the you know, profits to roll in? Well, I do believe partially in build it and they will come as long as it's something fantastically nutritious. But if you look at traditional agribusiness right now, and I, by the way, I don't consider traditional agribusiness my enemy. I consider it very flawed, though. And I, I believe that if vertical farming is actually going to go mainstream, especially indoor, which I highly believe in, I think Dixon's ideas about indoor farming are absolutely, now that's genius. Yeah, I agree. I'm very practical. Where we're headed, that is definitely the future of farming, the future of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a, a carbon footprint standpoint, from a uh, you know, redeployment of thousands and thousands of old buildings that are not going to do anything, but we can... I mean, look at what's going on in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, re, you know, returning to agriculture in Detroit, you know, taking these old auto buildings and refurbishing and going that direction. we got to go that way. So yeah, Chicago, too. The planet's going to continue to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And the plant in Chicago is fantastic. What a great vision. Mm-hmm. So I think that is all going to happen. Um, I believe that what we really have to happen in the short term is we're going to have to subsidize vertical farming just like we do traditional agribusiness. I mean, from what I understand, there's a $260, $270 billion farm bill out there that supports monocropping of the Midwest. Uh, <laughs> it's actually a lot more than that, but yeah. <laughs> trickle down to vertical farming and start, you know, helping out these higher yield, much more resource efficient concepts. Mm. Until that happens, I don't think the playing field will be anywhere near equal. But so are you seeing any interest in companies? That's probably going to swing it. But do you see interest in companies like Driscoll or Andy Boy, any of the other big, um, you know, greens, um, berries? I understand that berries are a good candidate for hydroponics. Um, Absolutely. Are those companies coming forward and and are they interested in what you're doing? Do you feel like uh, there's any chance that some of these really big, giant uh, agribusinesses are going to start investing at least a little bit into uh, Uh, this kind of technology? I mean, take the example of solar. I mean, look at uh, BP Oil and look at BP Solar. I mean, one of the biggest solar producers in the world. I think they're all going to get in. I think it's just a matter of money. I mean, where are the profits mm-hmm. now, and where will the profits be in the future? So, uh, unfortunately, we are a, a, a world that's driven primarily by money. Oh yeah. Therefore, we will ex- we will exhaust uh, what is uh, what makes the most money, whether it's you know eco friendly or not, before we get to the eco friendly part. I mean, I'm a very big supporter of the three P's. You know, it's people, planet, profit in that order. <laughs> and uh, if everybody thought that way, I think we'd have a different planet. But that's unfortunately, it's usually profit, people, planet. Yeah. That's the, uh, that's the reverse order. So uh, I do believe that vertical farming is going to be incredibly successful. I have found a small, very, very scalable model that works in a very densely packed urban environment. Mm-hmm. And I've actually, uh, I, I'm actually very close to being profitable on 1,200 square feet of production, which is unheard Amazing. of. Yeah. Yeah, I'm almost breaking even, and I've only got 1,200 feet of vertical production in production. Yeah, that's so incredible. That, and, and by the way, a, a rule in organic farming, I believe, and it may be incorrect, but I think it takes about 1,000 square feet to feed one person. I'm 
feeding about 50 out of my 1,000 square feet. Wow, that's, that's an impressive that statistic. Let's, uh, we only have about four minutes left, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, in the future we face amazing um, water shortages. I shouldn't say amazing. We face uh, predictable water uh, shortages. Yeah. And um, obviously hydroponic farming is a much more resource-friendly way of, of growing food. 90, 90%. So, yeah. So, um, like, what are other countries besides Japan uh, coming to to you or even to Dixon to talk about um, designs and assistance? And what about our own water challenge states like Arizona, uh, Texas, New Mexico, etc.? Places where people we've really shouldn't be living, but are. Yeah, we've been contacted by many different groups. Uh, I'm sure Dixon has been contacted by everybody on the planet. Um, yeah, I think he it, has. <laughs> I think, uh, I'm looking at the, you know, at the Middle East as an unbelievable place. They've got tons yeah. of money and no water. And if you look at our planet, I mean, we're not short on oil. That is, that's just that's fabricated because it makes money. Yeah. We are short on two major elements. That is soil mm-hmm. and water. Yeah. And uh, those two, I think, are starting to come out as uh, very critical elements that we need to start addressing. And if you're going to get into any type of, I mean, vertical farming can be done, performed in many ways. Um, but no matter what, we have to go that direction. We've got to go up. We can't continue to go out, and we have to go towards the resource efficiencies that mm-hmm. vertical farming allow. I mean, it's just, it, we have to especially from the water standpoint. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's 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 sort of almost incredible that you're that you or I mean, I know Dixon is is all over the world, um, you know, is preaching the gospel to people, but it really does blow my mind that there isn't uh, just an enormous rush to develop this technology and to you know start building these structures as fast as they can, especially as you say in places like the Middle East where water is basically non-existent or Sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, all of these areas yeah. where food is, is always at a crisis point and where we see food riots breaking out all the time um, already because of shortages in, in just staples. How about rice? Can you grow rice in a vertical farm? Uh, you, you probably, not, not a crop I would even attempt to grow in a vertical farm. I, I think uh, you can grow almost anything in, well, if you, you know, vertical, it can be stacked. Or, or stacked adjacent to each other. So it really depends on how you design the vertical farm. For example, I grow a lot of different berry crops. I can grow strawberries on top of each other, but I will grow blueberries in five-gallon pots hydroponically. So, I mean, I can grow them side by side, and I can have blueberries stacked above each other. Now it's a vertical farm, but they're not connected. I see. So it depends on the type of crop you have. I mean, many crops are stackable, where they actually can be touching each other in different pots, and that's what I focus on. Uh-huh. I, I think the most important, most important thing is that uh, when you look at the world's soil condition, we spent 200 years wiping out our soil and just raping it and, you know, throwing more and more nitrates on it until it was basically salted. I mean, you look at our San Joaquin Valley here in yeah. California, one of the most prolific producers of food in the world, and half of it's salted over now. We have to change. There is no choice. And so I think that we're going to have many, many different models. Um, my model works beautiful in a very densely packed urban environment. Uh-huh. It, it makes no sense at all if you've got tons of, of rich farmland. Right. Because well, you... it's still cheaper to use the sun and grow food on thousands of acres than spend, you know, money stacking pots. Well, but <laughs> if you're in the city yeah. where all these people are, you've got to change. Yeah, and it makes sense. you also want access to food that's a half hour old, it's the only way you can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, just it's bu- basically... Uh, the modern version of a victory garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I look at. I mean, I remember in the 
my grandfather in the 40s, everybody grew food. 50% of Americans grew their own food. Mm-hmm. Since then, we've gotten completely disconnected from our food supply. And uh, nutrition uh, problems such as diabetes and obesity are on the are skyrocketing. And we're, we're, we got kids here in Laguna Beach with you know, billion-dollar families that are getting diabetes at 13. That's yeah. food. <laughs> so that has to change, and that's my focus. I've got a, I've got a team of uh, nutritionists, biochemists, uh, holistic healers, energy healers. I mean, we're a bunch of woo-woo kind of people I'll say. that are actually trendsetters <laughs> that are understand the high-power nutrition of food. and Superfoods. It's going to grow them at a high-yield fit. Yeah, it's superfoods. That's exactly what I'm growing. Superfoods. <laughs> well, I, I love that idea. Um, In high-yield fashion. It's a very cool concept. I hope you'll come back and talk about this again. I want to keep track of what's going on with your farm. I love the idea that you're um, developing a produce route instead of a paper route for kids. I think that's a great concept. It's really, really a good idea. And it is true. Um, It's been proven over and over again that school gardens uh, do lead to children eating, you know, at least a more widely um, diverse diet instead of just focusing on snack foods and and starches um so anyway uh is there anything you want to promote here before we wrap it up yeah i wanted to finish with one comment and this is uh where i think dixon is absolutely he's the genius here he actually challenged kids to to rethink this thing uh, and kids i mean youth Mm -hmm. his class came up with this comment uh, this idea i think it was back in 1999 or so yes and i have watched youth just become incredibly empowered by just getting back to, you know, understanding what natural systems are and how our planet works. And it's interesting that vertical farming, if you teach a kid anything about vertical farming, he understands, when he's finished learning how to vertical farm, he understands biology, chemistry, construction, engineering, electrical, all the skill sets he needs to survive. Yeah, that's true. So vertical farming becomes an amazing curriculum to reconnect our kids to everything and make them, uh, you know, more self-reliant. Yeah, practical. I think if this country doesn't become more self-reliant, we're crazy. Yes. And uh, that's kind of my, my, that's the real driving force behind what I'm doing, is giving these tools to kids, to get them to think like I do. You know, don't take anything verbatim. Think, think yourself right out of that box, get into a new box, and redesign it. <laughs> and let's get America, if I, if I can sound like Mitt Romney for a second, let's get America back up and running. You know, but it's it's our kids that have to do that. Oh yeah, they face some very serious challenges. And this is a great tool. Yeah, fantastic. Well, my uh, Eric, thank you very much for joining me today on the program, Um, folks. Next week. Oh, and by the way, you can look at um, Eric's website, uh, either Enviro Ingenuity or uh, Allegria Fresh. Right, AllegriaFresh.com. And it's A L E G R I A. Allegria is the Spanish word for joy, happiness, and general merriment. And when you add tequila, it really gets fun. Okay, babes. That's 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 my recipe for success. Um, thanks again, Eric. Um, we will see you again, I hope, sometime soon. And uh, next week, folks, we'll be talking about um, GMO crops uh, in the um, as we anticipate the presidential election and Proposition 37, which is going to be voted on in California about mandatory labeling for GMO crops. I'm hoping that my guest will be Michael Hansen from the Consumers Union, who uh, lectures all around the world about GMO crops and is an extremely knowledgeable guy. Um, and also, as you know, Consumers Union is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization, so no agenda from him. Anyway, thanks uh, for the listening, and this has been your host, Katie Kiefer, on Straight No Chaser. Thank you to my sponsor, Hearst Ranch, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.